1: Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hidden Histories. For today's episode, I sat down with Mel Hansen, the house historian, and I brought her along to my house. So I thought for this episode it would be really interesting to talk to Mel about features of my house and also your own house that you can look at to get an understanding of the hidden history behind your own home. Not only does she talk about that, but she also talks about the social history behind the house, the sort of characters that she has come across in her research from the Middle Ages all the way through to the 20th century. I hope you enjoy the podcast and don't forget to rate and subscribe and have a lovely rest of your summer. historian you are the first ever house historian that I have met and (laughs) has been on the podcast of course yes so to begin what is a house historian exactly
4: well it's a great question um and one I get asked a lot (laughs) um but in essence um I specialize in the social history of houses so as opposed to an architectural historian who will obviously detail all the architectural features Um, I look at more of the social stories. It's the people stories. It's all about who's lived in a house um, and the generations and the events that have taken place. So I do look at the architectural features. Obviously, that will have a a role in telling the story of a house. Um, But when I research the history of a house, it's going right back to who built it, why it was built, Um, the very first people to walk through the front door, telling their stories, and then the different generations of different families that have come and gone in the life of the house. That's amazing, because there are so many stories
3: within, well, I suppose, four walls, aren't there? Yeah. And it, it's, especially in these older houses, anybody who loves history, as I'm sure anyone who's listening to this podcast does, <laughs> yes. goes into a location, and that's why, you know, Hidden Histories is such a key theme within the entire scope of the podcast, because into a location... And can feel this sense of a story of that yeah. overwhelming sense of history. Yeah. Um. So, what kind of, what are the oldest houses that you've had to look at?
4: Well, um, the very oldest house I've ever looked at was actually an old chantry house. So, and it was built uh, 1490s, um, and it was built specifically um, for sort of local benefactor to have someone pray for them so it was a very old sort of medieval form of of, wasn't really a house in the traditional sense um but a short time later it was um dissolved at the dissolution of the monasteries and dissolution of the chantries um so from the 16th century it was a gentleman's house became a farmhouse um and actually it still has some incredible original features um timber ceilings Guardrobe, stone spiral staircase, um, and now it's it's a family home, so it's quite it's quite a mixed bag of, of history. Um, but that's definitely the oldest house I've ever researched. Um, but on the whole, they tend to be sixteenth, but probably more like seventeenth century. So it's it's the houses that stu- that still exist, um, but it is normal in inverted commas residential houses. So it's less big stately homes or old manor houses. It's more um, the houses that sort of everyday people have lived in. So, and that's actually part of the reason I love it so much because it's it's telling the stories of lots of different types of people. Um, it's not just the kings and queens and the aristocrats. It's actually the farmers and, you know, perhaps, I don't know, the lower echelons of society it's had its you know the houses have had their mixed bag so they may be stories of famous names famous people gentry different people but on the whole it's that revealing stories of ordinary people and actually they they seem ordinary but actually could have extraordinary lives and the stories that unfold it's it's brilliant
3: so how would you begin researching something like that
4: well um it's a lot, of the t- a lot of time in archives. Um, but probably the key thing is actually you have to work backwards. And it seems counterintuitive because you actually want to... If you know your house was built in 1752, you want to jump straight back and find out when it was built and who built it. But actually, in order to establish the exact history, you actually have to work back from current day or, or facts that are um, definite and, and well-confirmed. Uh, and work back through the records and there's loads of different records from electoral registers to directories to um, census returns maps tax records and there's lots of different you're piecing together loads of different records where people's names or owners names occupants names have been recorded through time um and once you start getting back into the earlier history, houses weren't clearly identified. So in a lot of cases, whether it's a an old cottage in Devon or if it's a townhouse in, in London, they were often not clearly identified with either a name or a number. So in the early records, you don't know what house you're looking at. So that's why you have to work back. So once you get to a certain point, you actually start looking at the names of people rather than an address that we would know today um, and you only know the names of those people you need to investigate because you've already discovered them through working backwards in time so so that's the key thing and then yeah it's loads of different sources and as the further back you go you start delving into older records like manorial records or estate records deeds um, all sorts of rental uh, records old surveys old maps and it just depends on the house as well it depends on its location depends on what kind of house it was yeah so every house is always different that's one of the other key things so you can actually research two houses in one street and it will take you on a different journey so because whoever owned it originally might have been someone different so you end up looking at different things
3: that's amazing so it's kind of like a game of snakes and ladders isn't it yeah
4: no it's really because actually you end up going on an adventure every time so that's part of the fun of it
3: sure so you say that there are, every house is different are there any are there any kind of consistent themes that you see within your work
4: um yeah i guess once you start getting into i guess it's more 18th and 19th century and into 20th century housing development as as a lot of people listening might know about Obviously, you've got things like the Industrial Revolution and you've got massive population growth, how houses were built, and especially in the Victorian times where they were just, you know, street upon street upon street of, of terraced housing. Um, and those sorts of themes about how houses were built and how people followed, the builders just followed sort of pattern books about how houses were constructed. Um, and those sort of themes come through in in houses of the same age so you know you'll know roughly um how yeah how they came about how they were likely built and the, those sorts of themes will be consistent so and the same way even with a georgian house if you're going back to the 18th century why the house was built a lot of those themes will be similar
3: okay so going back to say you say your research is generally more based around the 18th and 19th centuries yeah. um, the georgian house what kind of what kind of houses were there and what sort of people would you expect to necessarily find there
4: well again it depends on where you are <laughs> so if you're looking at a uh i don't know um, a georgian terrace in mayfair or westminster in the middle of london uh and if it's a certain size um then you're going to have similar themes and they're going to be gentlemen of a certain class um you might if you're getting something slightly smaller then you get into the middle class or the clerk class or or merchant class someone who's who's successful in business um but then you can get a georgian house which is still a two up two down and actually you've got laboring classes and you've got more working classes and it just depends on where it is um and also the quality of housing is going to be different so if you have a a georgian terrace in an outer suburb of london or even you know part of manchester or even a, a, a part of birmingham the different the different building and the different reasons why they were built might tell you a bit more that will tell you more about who lived there and why um so if they're sort of thrown up hastily um then they might not be you know anyone who's of a certain who's going to pay a certain amount for a good quality house if they you know if it's not good quality and it's been built shabbily then you're not going to get your gentleman classes living there so um and also by that point there's lots of building acts that come in so they determined the size and scope of housing and therefore the value so certain square footage would indicate a certain grade of house so it depends <laughs> it's, it's always my short answer
3: so for um for particularly for Georgian houses where would people look to go to go and see some really great examples of of Georgian architecture and houses and can imagine the sorts of people like you say the merchants that used to live there
4: yeah um oh that's a really good question there's there's a real variety so you could obviously London there's still a lot of Georgian houses in London um but equally somewhere like Edinburgh um perhaps even if you're going slightly different tack you're looking at the spa towns so you're looking at bath or uh, brighton and they were built for very different reasons so um but also equally beautiful georgian houses so it's it's a, yeah i mean they're all over the place really so actually even even in small market towns you can find some really lovely georgian houses
3: in your research what are the most fascinating stories that you've come across to do with individual houses
4: well there are many um I'm just trying to think they're probably the most recent ones um there was a house in Gloucestershire um and it was actually built as sort of a gentleman's residence um later became a farmhouse um and it had some extraordinary stories um in the 19th century it was uh I guess you'd almost say gentleman farmer but he was a farmer. Um, had a large family. He was living in the house with his wife and, and I think there was something like six or seven children. Um, but what's brilliant is that there were actually some scratchings on one of the upstairs windows which had names on them and the current owners didn't know what this referred to or when they'd been scratched. But there was a name of Lily and there was a name of Thea and there was another girl's name and it turns out that it was actually the daughters of this farmer in the 1860s and 70s. And they had scratched their names into the upstairs window. So there was, it, I mean, it, the current owners just loved it because it totally brought to life these, you know, naughty girls who scratched their names into <laughs> into the windows. Um, but then it sort of was revealed that um, the current owners had suspected that the house was haunted. Um, and they had seen both of them, husband and wife, had seen what they think as a ghost. Um, and they had the name sort of passed on by someone else that um, they thought it was the name. And it escapes me now. Um, but they had a girl's name anyway. And uh, so, if you start, it had a girl's name. Okay, it had a girl's name, and they didn't know anything about. They just had this sort of vision of a ghost that they thought sort of occupied the house with them Um, and as it turns out it was one of the daughters of this farmer and I found her in the records she didn't die in any dramatic way she got married she became Mrs Brown she lived in Gloucester and had children but the current owners just absolutely sort of fell off their chairs because they just they love the idea that we'd we'd found the girl and actually no idea why they she might be haunting the house but um it seemed friendly enough so they were they were genuinely over the moon um but then after that many years later the house actually got renamed and became another gentleman's residence a sort of nice big house in the country um and it was the home of another family but they were the the well they were the eldest or the father of the family was, was in line to inherit a title. Um, and he then died in a car accident, so his son became a very young heir to, to this title. Um, and it was, you know, family home and they had lots of adventures. But it turns out uh, this son, when he grew up, he fought in the Second World War and worked for the SOE. Um, and actually, he, he went missing in 1941. And they... Yeah, there was no, because it was the SOE, there was very little information. There was this special operations executive. um, And it was only in 1943, two years later, they discovered he had actually died in 1941. Um, And even now, when I was researching it, the events are shrouded in a bit of mystery. No one's quite sure what happened. Um, But then it turns out his widow, because he'd married shortly before the war, his widow then in 1952 became a... lady-in-waiting to Princess Elizabeth, and then when she became Queen, Queen Elizabeth II. So it's this extraordinary story of this hero of the the Second World War, died fighting in the Special Operations Executive, and then his wife becomes lady-in-waiting to the Queen. So this whole story unravels of ghosts in the 19th century and farmers' daughters, and so that's one house where actually these extraordinary stories start coming out and it's just in the life of one house. That is amazing because if you think about how many
3: people even if your house is So my house is probably I don't know, hundred
4: and fifty years old? Yeah. I'm looking late, late. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm looking at you going, How old is my house now? Yeah.
4: Late nineteenth century?
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so like more even even this house, for example, mm. the amount of stories that it it probably contains. Yes. Yeah. So generally speaking a lot of houses that you research are these victorian terrace houses yeah. i mean i can from somebody who loves history sort of get a, glean a kind of general understanding yeah. of what my house might have looked like yeah. because of different you know walls being slightly different yeah. or fireplaces in certain areas being blocked up what's if you go into somebody's house like mine mm-hmm. what are the sort of key features that you might look
4: for and that people can look for at home um well i guess you've just named a few i think the difficulty, I think, with a lot, especially Victorian, oddly enough, Georgian as well, but a lot of the homes which we live in now, um, we've we've made our mark on them. We've stamped our own sort of personality on them. And so have sort of a lot of 20th century people before us. So there are some internal features that um, you can look out for. Obviously, you've got fireplaces and you've got ceiling roses or cornicing or perhaps it's a type of sash window or the shape of a window if you've got a bay window or if you've got if you've got critter windows which is a 20th century edition or it there's those sorts of things you can look at all types of doors but a lot of internal features have been uh quite often messed about with um certainly in the, the sort of latter 20th century so I'm always a little bit uh wary of being too reliant on those but if, you're look at, if you stand outside your house, and whether it was built in 1820 or 1920, actually there are a lot of clues by things like the brickwork, um, again, the type of windows, um, the type of front door, if you've got a fan light, what shape it is. Um, even looking at the roof, I mean, it might have changed, but perhaps just the shape of the roof or the roof line. Some of those things, because a lot of our exterior, the exterior of houses has changed. as uh, remained roughly the same and it's the insides that you can see a little snippets of history but as I say I'm a little bit wary because they often are especially in more recent times because I think it's great that people are valuing period features which I'm 100% behind but in a lot, of, a lot of cases period features have been removed and then put back and so actually you find houses now which are Victorian or Georgian but the fireplace isn't original or yeah the ceiling rose isn't original because it's been put back to to bring it back to its former glory as they say but it's so to judge them purely on those features can be a bit tricky so in a traditional
3: sort of victorian terrace how many how many sort of people would you expect to see living somewhere like this because you often imagine these families sort of cramped in sharing bedrooms yeah. is that the case or do you think that it it's um, that's really not that's not something that you have found
4: no I think that is it is the case in certain periods of history so again that through the life of a house um it can go through different stages so it could be the home of a, a single family it could be you know a retired couple or it could be a couple with eight children so it, it just depends um, also if it's been divided up at any time so whether it became flats or perhaps it was uh, even a lodging house or perhaps there was one family and they then rented out rooms upstairs or so each house has often had its ups and downs in different ways so whether yeah depending on where it is and the impact of the area might determine those sort of stages in its life so yeah whether it was built as a gentleman's residence and then 50 years later it's divided up into flats and so things like that every house will be slightly different but I think you do I don't know it's yeah again where it is will determine a lot of features a lot of the stories but in a lot of cases if you think about also social history people did have more children so even if it was a single family home they may have had eight ten children and so all those children are having to share bedrooms and so it could be a comfortable middle-class home but they had more children so it just if we look at how we live today and people on the whole have fewer children so it yeah it changes how we live in a house so we've talked about the social history
3: of the 19th century and a little bit about the 18th century what about how the 20th century might have affected the house and the people who live in it
4: yeah 20th century is really interesting I think um, obviously not 18th and 19th there was lots of social change but 20th century um, you've got massive um, events obviously first and second world wars you've got depressions um, and sort of economic decline but also you've got a change in lots of other areas so things like electricity, gas, water in uh, yeah, bathrooms inside houses, you know, it wasn't that long ago that most people would have only had a toilet out the back and actually just sort of a, maybe a hot and cold running water tap, you know, it wasn't that long ago. So there's those sorts of innovations in in our homes. So now, you know, most people have, a lot of houses, they have one one bathroom per bedroom, you know, like, so that you've got three bedrooms and three bathrooms, whereas those also appliances and how we use those in the home but also construction materials so the way that a lot of houses are done now um, where they knock down walls and reshape inside the home because we've got better structural materials that can allow for that um but then also things like the development of council housing and how that had an impact on what houses were built and how they how they were built um so there's loads going on whether it's just the impact of of the blitz or whether it's because someone's come in and completely renovated it into flash apartments and it's got all the mold cons so it's it's a lot of different developments um and again houses had their ups and downs so it may have at the beginning of the century before the the first world war um it could have just been a you know family home much as it had been in the previous century um but 50 years later it's been impacted by two world wars and you know major economic decline or you know there's all sorts of things that can affect the life of a house so of the
3: some of the houses you've looked at um from the 20th century are there any examples so for example you know like you were talking the blitz yeah are there any examples of um houses that were affected by two world wars
4: yes (laughs) the simple answer yes um it's it's actually it's sort of bittersweet in a way because actually the devastation that took place in both world wars um, but obviously for property the second world war had a much bigger impact across different different towns and cities across the country Um, so the impact of war whether it was bombing um, you know I I did a house in Mayfair recently which um, it survives it's one of the original sort of um, early Georgian terraced houses in Mayfair but next door was hit by a bomb in September 1940, and then it was hit by another bomb in November 1940. So the two neighbouring houses basically got annihilated in within a within a couple of months. Um, but the house I was researching survived; like it scraped through. Um, so there's those sorts of impact on on literally the bombing that took place. Um, but there's also the social story. So um, there's a mansion block in, um, Marlebone in Portman Square, and it's a sort of very ordinary mansion block, um, built 1929, um, but it was established, I uncovered one of the flats was used by the French section of the Special Operations Executive, um, and it, I mean, that whole area was kind of dominated by the SOE, their head office was a little bit further up on Baker Street, um. But these stories unravel about this flat in the middle of a mansion block in the middle of Mayfair, or in Malibone. And it was I, just the image of these sort of people coming and going, but they were being recruited as spies. Um, and it was very much a sort of James Bond type story. But it was incredible as I del- delve further into the stories about um, the French section and the actual, the people who went off and um they were recruited as spies they then went off to have their training in the country they'd come back to be debriefed in this flat just before they were literally parachuted into occupied france so it's just actually when you when you unravel the layers and then you, these stories a lot of them women as well because they were used um as spies because they were seen as as um less um curious if if a woman is wandering around it's 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 less sort of um odd than a man wandering around um uh, but their stories and many of whom they were captured and and sent to concentration camps so these extraordinary stories of literally heroes and heroines who died for the country and it was all through the life of a flat in Malabone. so it's just yeah it's those sorts of stories that really get me because it's it's seen as just a flat or just a house but actually these incredible stories can be unraveled and and found so it's great (laughs) that
3: is so fascinating you're so right because you know houses hold so much all these stories but also so much emotion um so many voices and that's why I think that what you're what you do is so fascinating um, and, you know, the nature of hidden histories, we're sort of thinking of locations, but actually it's so nice that you've come to my house. Yes. And the idea is, what I thought would be really interesting for those who are listening, is that they can then start to think about the hidden history of their own house. So you yeah. did touch on some things that people can go and look at within yeah. within their house to gain an understanding of maybe the history of it, yeah. um, however recent or old that yes. might be. Yeah. Um, but
4: if they were going to go dig a little bit deeper how how would they begin uh the best thing to do is to go to the local archives or local record office in your area so most of the material whether it's maps or tax records or census returns um a lot of the material for each area is based in the area archives so if your house is in Lincoln then you go off to the Lincolnshire archives if Your house is in Birmingham, then you go after the archives there. Um, So it's, if you go to your, some of them are different, some of them have city archives, it depends on where you live. Um, But you can head off there, they've got guides as to where to start. Um, And there's lots of, again, depending on your house and how old it is and where it is, it will determine how you go about it. But there's, um, most of the archives, the archivists are great, they'll guide you on where to start. Um, and whether that is just looking at a whole lot of old maps, just to gauge an idea of the, the development of your street or your, your area. Um, but then you can delve further into loads of different material to find out the stories of people. Okay. So what are you working on at the moment? Uh, well, um, I've just finished, um, a row of cottages in Somerset. Um, and they're actually derelict cottages. So it's very, a little bit different for me most of the houses I do are occupied, um, but these houses were actually burnt down in a fire um, in the late 40s and they want to renovate them and bring them back to to residential use. Um, But it was brilliant because they thought they they might be late 19th century Um, but I've uncovered that there was a single house there back into the early 18th century. Um, So looking at old maps and lots of different records and manorial records and all sorts, um, I uncovered that there was this there's been a house on that site for far longer than they expected, which they were very happy about. Um, so that was really fun. Um, but it was quite different researching houses that don't really exist. <laughs> like they were derelict, like half the walls were, were missing. Um, but, and then I've just finished a Mayfair house, but I'm actually working at this very minute on a new book. Um, but I'm not allowed to tell you what it is. <laughs> so I don't know if we can mention that. Yeah,
3: That's all more reason to have you back on the podcast later (laughs) on to talk about it. Um, Okay, but you do have two books already.
4: Yes. So um, my first book, which is actually coming out in a second edition uh, later this year, um, is called House Histories. And that's a collection of lots of different houses and their stories. So um, small houses, big houses, um, lots of different locations across the country. And then my second book is Historic Streets and Squares. And that's telling the story of largely the sort of very well-known squares and streets that we were familiar with so whether that's um the shambles in york or uh soho square in london or or yeah lots of different locations um places that people would recognize but how they became that how they were became famous streets and squares and their stories and how they were built and all sorts of yeah the, the fun delving behind the the brickwork to find the stories
3: I'm so jealous of what you do. I'm sort of <laughs> when you when you talk about your research, it's just so fascinating. It must take you all over the place. Um, okay, so I feel like I want to just drag you around my house now, looking at things. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And you are on social media,
4: yes, yes. Uh, I'm on Twitter at um, House Historian. Um, I'm on Instagram as Mel Back um, But yeah, they're they're the two main places you'll find me
3: great thank you so much for coming on the podcast look forward to having you back
4: thank you